Jesus's parents' names? Uh, Mary and Joseph. Very good. Yes, very good. That very one. good. And approximately how many years ago did he live? Oh gosh. 250 million years ago. Okay, how many wise men were there? Um, 12. <laughs> right, what did they bring Jesus' gifts? They brought him some wine. Who found the burning bush? Uh, Nixon? What happened in the fight between David and Goliath? The story. What they happened? got in a fight with rocks. Who won? Goliath. Who was swallowed by the whale? Okay, now I'm on the spot. Um, Joe. DiMaggio. Cain and. Abel. That's right. Who were they? Uh, sitcom. The Old Testament was originally written in what language? Um, isn't it Old English? Old English. Or Latin or something? Old Hi, everybody. Uh, as Danny said, I'm his dad. And this kind of reminds me of when Danny was in high school and he used to invite everybody over and then his mom and I would have to get more pizza uh, for everybody. But promise me you're not going to sleep over uh, here tonight. Um, but yeah, and Danny... When he was younger, and just so you know, like this call uh, of God has always been in his, in his life. Uh, when he was younger, we were on a vacation, a family vacation to Colorado uh, to visit my wife's sister and her family who live in Denver. And um, we were driving through the mountains uh, and we were enjoying the scenery and it was Sunday morning. And we realized we weren't going to be able to get to church. And so, you know you want to do church, it's Sunday. And so I said, well, we're just going to have a family service uh, right here. And I said, you know, I'm on vacation, so I really don't want to preach. Uh, so who would like to do the opening songs? And Danny's sister volunteered, and she sang a song. It was great. And then I said, who'd like to preach? And of course, Danny raised his hand. Uh, didn't raise his hand. He was in the minivan. I mean, he's like, I will. No, it's more like, I will. And, <laughs> and so I said, okay, Danny, what do you want to preach about? This was his whole sermon. You ready for it? God is big. <laughs> He's bigger than these mountains. Amen. <laughs> it's the shortest sermon he ever preached, and um, but he was on his way. So I'm I'm glad Danny filled in for me when we were on vacation in Colorado. So I'm glad to pinch hit for him today. And, you know, it's a big holiday uh, today. It's Groundhog's Day Eve. You knew that, right? So this is this kind of a, turn to the person next to you and say, happy Groundhog's Eve. This is a big service every year. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. So the, the video you just saw uh, was from The Tonight Show, and it's back when Jay Leno, um, this guy before Jimmy Fallon and before Conan and before some others was hosting it, and he uh, went out on the street and he did this thing called jaywalking because his name's Jay Leno. And he would ask these questions. And that night, he asked questions about what people know about the Bible. And unfortunately, in this country, actually globally, there are a lot of people who don't know a whole lot about the Bible. And I hope you can do better than that. But if you can't, I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to feel guilt. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to get to know it better. As a church this year, and we're one church in multiple locations 
Um, and Kairos is, is such a huge part of our church's outreach and ministry. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so, so glad that you're here. To see it in person is great. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, if I have a chance, I'll tune in on YouTube and, and try to catch it, but it, it looks so much better in person. It looks great on, on screens, but in person, it's just great to be here with all of you tonight. Uh, but we are focusing in on reading the whole Holy Bible in a year as a church, and we're saying that we don't just want to read it. We want to read it, we want to learn it, and we want to live it. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. And you've had an opportunity to do that here the last two weeks and tonight, and then next week the series will wrap up. But that isn't where we kind of just push the Bible aside then and say we're done. That's where hopefully you can just sort of keep it going. And the reason I want to encourage you to keep it going isn't just for the sake of being able to answer questions if a Tonight Show host ever asks you on the street. Or if you're ever a contestant on Jeopardy and the category is New Testament and you want to run the category. It's way deeper than that. I want you to know what God's word says. I want to encourage you to know what God's word says because of the blessing that it can be in your life. There's um, so many opportunities for you here. And I know that as students, you have all sorts of reading that you have to do, all sorts of assignments that you have to keep up with. And so if you can't do the whole Holy Bible this year, do the New Testament. It's, it's, it's a truly tiny investment of time every day. But it isn't just one more thing to read. It's an opportunity to have God, the God who made you. The God who made you loves you. The God who made you loves you has something to say to you. The question isn't whether God is speaking or not. The question is really whether you're going to listen, whether I'm going to listen, whether we're going whether we're to open our hearts and minds and souls and let God speak to us as he does through his word. So I want to encourage you to dive into the word. And in order to do that, I think it's important to get to know it better. Danny's already covered some of these things. Uh, and so I don't want to belabor the point. But if you're interested in getting into the habit of reading the Bible, I would encourage you not to do it alone. I would encourage you to do it in community with people around you. And there are ways that you can do that right here in Kairos. There'll be other students who will be doing the same readings you'll be doing together with a church of about 25,000 people around central Iowa and other communities where local sites have popped up around the Midwest. We're all reading the same text together every day in our weekend sermons, and that includes the sermons here in Hope Ames, uh, our, our Kairos evenings, the Kairos Bible study groups. You can find all this on the Kairos Instagram page on the uh, link that's there. You can get signed up. You can get connected. Don't do this alone. Do this in community because every part of Scripture is God-breathed. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed. Another word for that, English translation. It's not written in Old English, the original text. It was written in Greek in the New Testament. From the original Greek to English, it would say every part of Scripture is inspired. For something to be inspired, it means it's in you. And then the second part of that, that word in its root, spired, means the spirit. It means God's spirit is in you. When you hear beautiful music, when you see the glory of God's creation, when you, when you witness something that blows you away, God's spirit is in you. That's literally what it means to be inspired is that it is God-breathed. God is putting the breath of his inspiration into you into that moment and giving you a glimpse of heaven, giving you a foretaste of what it's going to be like in eternity. Every part of Scripture. Think about that. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed. That doesn't mean every part of Scripture is going to jump off the page at you and, and just make you feel like you're looking at the most glorious sunset ever. But it does mean that every time you open up Scripture, you have the opportunity to hear God speak to you. 
It isn't about the consistency of God. It's about whether or not my heart is open, whether or not your heart is open, whether we're open to the inspiration of God's spirit. And here's how the spirit and breathing and wind has everything to do with how we read the scriptures. In Genesis chapter one, verse two, we're gonna go back to the beginning of the Bible. And I'm gonna go all the way from Genesis to Revelation in this sermon. Uh, We're gonna cover every verse along, no, we're not. We're gonna skip quite a few along the way. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Everyone say spirit of God. The spirit of God shows up. It's not just God the creator, God the Father, it's also God the Son, we'll learn about later in John 1, and it's God the Holy Spirit too. The Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters in creation, and then something absolutely remarkable happens, as if that's not remarkable enough. Life starts to come throughout the days of creation. Fast forwarding ahead, we start to realize that the Hebrew word, the original text in Genesis 1 is Hebrew, is ruach. Everyone say ruach. Ruach is is an ancient Hebrew word that means, in English, spirit or wind or breath. It's the spirit of God, the same thing that inspires us. It's the wind of God. It's the breath of God. It's the ruach of God. In the beginning of creation, the breath, the spirit, the wind of God is hovering and is moving and is about to create life. Skip ahead to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and it says, God formed man. The Hebrew word for man is Adam. Kind of cool. Adam actually, yeah, Adam was Adam. He's an individual human being. But this story is also not just about Adam and Eve. It's about you and me because Adam means humankind, literally. In the Hebrew, the word is translated man here in this translation and Adam in other translations. But God formed Adam. God formed all of mankind out of the dirt from the ground. And the way he did this is he blew into the nostrils the breath of life. The word again is a different word, but same meaning. It's the breath, it's the wind, it's the spirit of God. So what separates you from a bag of bones and water and flesh and blood is the spirit of God is in you. You have life. You have a soul because God takes the dust of the ground and breathes life into your bones. He gives you breath and that breath brings you into, you go from just a a human biology kind of experiment, you become a human being. You are filled with life. The inspiration of God brings you to life. And so it's been from the beginning of creation and nothing less will do. It's precisely what we need, what you need, what I need, what our world needs, because it's so easy for us to get lost. So easy for us to to lose our way in this world. Maybe you're feeling like that right now. And maybe you're the only person who really knows that you're feeling like that because you're faking it around the people around you because you don't want them to think you're feeling lost. You're not alone. One of the reasons we feel lost is because we do what Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher, told us not to do. He says, every life that is preoccupied with being like others is a wasted life. It's a lost life. You get lost, I get lost. If you try to be me and I try to be you, when God created you and put his spirit in you to be exactly who you are, turn to the person next to you and say, you are not me, baby. Just go ahead and say, say, you you don't have to say the baby part. (laughs) And turn back to that person and say, and I'm not you either. Now, now, just so everybody's feeling some good you know, self-esteem, turn back to the person and say, but you're pretty good just the way you are, the way God made you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you know what's a total royal waste of time? It would be a royal waste of your life and of your time if you did a bad impression of somebody else your whole life. If you aren't gonna be you, who's gonna be you? Because God only made one of you. If you spend your whole life doing an impression of somebody God didn't make you to be, not only are you, is it a futile attempt to try to become something you could never become, but you're going to be frustrated. You'll never find that life that you're looking for. God has put the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, the breath of life into you. The more we know God's word, the more we know these things. Remember what scripture says, our reading for tonight. Every word of scripture is God-breathed. This is the same breath that gives you life, gives life to these words, inspires this book in a way God says, I don't inspire any other book like I do this one. I speak to you through this book. I talk directly to you through this book. It is my living, breathing word, which you'll hear more about next week. But today, just to think that it is the inspiration, the breath, the wind of God. Because when we try to be something we aren't, it, man, it just turns out poorly. When I was your age, when I was in college, I played uh, basketball. Don't be too impressed. It was a little D3 school in Minnesota called Concordia. And um, we were... We were very average. We were a very average team, but we had a lot of fun on the team. And my teammates and I bonded, and we're still really good friends to this day. And we, we, uh, we would travel around Minnesota. It was the Minnesota Inner, uh, whatever it was. The MIAC was the name of our conference. I can't remember what it stood for, but we were in that conference. And so we would go on trips, and we would bond, and we would do all these things. When we got back from a road trip one particular game, we noticed that there was a 5K run going on for our students uh, at our college that Saturday morning. And a bunch of us thought, hey, we're in shape. We don't run. We don't train for anything like this. But we're basketball players. We should be able to handle a 5K easy. Not only that, we were so overconfident in our ability to compete with the cross-country guys and the track guys that we thought we could show up and maybe possibly win. I know, Kierkegaard, every life that is preoccupied with being like others is a wasted life, a lost life. So we got to the start line that day, it was early in the morning, it's 8 a.m., and they say, on your mark, you say, go, and we start running, and the, the, my teammates and I decided we were going to sprint out to the lead, wearing our basketball shorts, you know, I mean, the last thing you'd want to do is become a marathon runner, wouldn't you? Oh, sorry, Danny. But we were standing there, we were standing there at the line, and we thought, well, we're going to show these marathon guys, we're going to show them all what it what it's really means to be in shape, you know, like a basketball player. And so we took, we were winning after like 100 yards. And then we got to, I don't know, the half mile point. We weren't winning anymore. Now we were starting to suck wind. We were starting to like just gasp for air, trying to like, oh, and then we started to pray. God help me, deliver me please from this pain because we started too fast and we really didn't know what we were doing. And the thing about basketball is it's start and stop, start and stop, start and stop. But if you're running a 5K, there's no stopping. You just keep going and going. You're supposed to keep going and going and going and going. It was one of the most humiliating and humbling experiences of my college life. Every life that's preoccupied with being like others is a wasted life, a lost life. Just be you. You're the only you that God made. There's nobody else exactly like you. Nobody else with your personality, your passions, your character traits, your interests, your drive, your, 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 your makeup. 
God's spirit is in you. God made you on purpose for a purpose, just the way you are. Don't get lost. Don't get lost trying to do a bad impression of somebody God never made you to be. Be content with who you are instead of envious of what somebody else is. They they might have something you don't, but you've got things they don't. Don't get lost. It's easy, too, to get overwhelmed along the way in life. It's easy to get worried. Worry is a big one in college for a lot of students in a lot of different places. It's easy to feel unworthy, like we're not good enough. Good enough for our friends, good enough for school, good enough for the major we're in, good enough for, for what we're trying to pursue, good enough for the grad school you hope to get in someday or the job you hope to get someday. It's easy to get disillusioned, to start to think that, um, you know, what I thought life was all about, what I was chasing after, just isn't soul satisfying. It isn't getting me where I want to go. And so we end up like this guy. A lot of times, not everybody. But there are days and there are moments where we kind of, you know, have achieved some stuff. We've got the really trendy, cool couch and the wardrobe and the fashion and the clothes and, and we have no soul. What does it profit someone, Mark 8, 36 says, to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Because you forget who you are. Where do I get this? Pastor Mike's wisdom? No the inspired word of God. What does it profit you or me to gain the whole world but lose our souls? We lose the truth of what God really wants to give us and the thing that really gives life. Isn't that why the Bible tells us story after story after story in the New Testament that you can read this year? So that by Christmas, you'll have read through the entire New Testament and I guarantee you, you will be closer to God than you are tonight. There's this guy named Nicodemus who has status, who has position, who has power. He's a Pharisee, and after dark one day, Nicodemus came to speak to Jesus. Why did he come to speak to Jesus? Jesus is just a rabbi from Nazareth. Nicodemus is is ranked above him in the social structure of of first century Middle Eastern culture. Why would he come? And Nicodemus has more education, more formal education than this carpenter's kid from Nazareth. It's because Nicodemus is seeking something. He's still looking for something that he hasn't been able to find. There must be something more to my life than this, Nicodemus realizes. A little bit later in John chapter 4, Jesus goes to a well, and there's a woman from Samaria there. And this woman has tradition, and she has legacy, and she has heritage. And she goes to this well, the same well her family's gone to traditionally for generations, but it's not enough. Our traditions, our our, our nostalgic kinds of things that we do over and over again, our legacies, we're going to need something more. And she realizes that, and she has this life-changing conversation with Jesus. Just like Nicodemus did in John chapter 3, the Samaritan woman and Jesus have a life-changing conversation for her in John chapter 4. So much so that by the end of the story, the woman came to the well that day carrying her jar to get water for herself and her family. And by the time Jesus was done with a simple conversation with her, where he said to her, do you know, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. You came here thinking you were coming for water for your family, and I'm here to quench your thirst for life. And so Jesus is here to give you the same through his living word. Open up this book. God has something to say to you, just like he did to Nicodemus, just like he did to the woman from Samaria. She was so transformed 
that my favorite part of this story is she runs back to her village. She evangelizes. She, she's like, I just met the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for and looking for. I know it's him. The thing that she didn't take back to her town was that water jar she came to the well with that, that day because she was getting filled up with the wind and the breath of God. The same wind and the breath God wants to fill you up with through his living word, by his spirit. One more. There's a rich man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Just, I'm just, this is just coming to me. I don't know where it's coming from, but, but there it is. What's Nicodemus doing up in that tree? What are you doing here? He said, oh, it's just coincidental. My friends brought me. <laughs> you know, I'm not exactly looking for God. Yeah, but God's looking for you. God's looking for you. And so maybe it's no accident you're here. Because God wanted to tell you this. Like God wanted to tell Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the guy with social status. Like he wanted to tell the Samaritan woman, the woman who had all sorts of tradition and heritage. It's Jacob's well she goes to. Zacchaeus, who has all this money but it's still not enough. Nothing will ever be enough until we make room in our hearts and souls and minds for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for the breath of life, for the thing that separates you from a bag of dust. Nicodemus ran up and climbed a sycamore, a fig tree. He wanted to see the Lord. And when Jesus saw him, he said, come on down from the tree. I'm going to your house because God wants to change your life. I've got something to say to you, Nicodemus. I've got something to say to you, Samaritan woman at the well. I've got something to say to you, uh, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, all of them. I've got something to say to you. God's got something to say to me too. The question is, is will we listen? Will we let him? What's missing in your life? What's missing in anybody's life who doesn't make room for the main thing? The God who made us wants to be in a relationship with us, and he made us with a need to be in a relationship with him, and we can deny that, but it isn't going to get us where we want to go. There's another uh, vision in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, about God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says, I was carried by the Spirit uh, to a valley that was filled with bones, dry bones. The place was dead. The valley was dead. There was no life. It's just bones, no spirit in them. And the, um, the, the messenger said to me, can these bones become living people again? And Ezekiel says, well, only you know that. And then God says, through this messenger, listen, look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'm going to put wind in your sails. I'm going to breathe life into you. I'm going to make all things new for you. And so God does. And so God always has. And so God wants to for you. When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, he will guide you into all truth. The word of God is a light for your path. It directs your steps. It guides you through life in a way that nothing less can do. It reminds you of who you are. Instead of doing a bad impression of trying to become something that you were never created to be so that you can have peace a peace that passes all human understanding, the Bible says, God's word says, a joy that's untouchable. Where else can you get this? How, how valuable are these gifts? 
And so there is this Hebrew word, ruach, in the Old Testament, and it's pneuma in the New Testament. The wind, the spirit, the pneuma of God blows wherever it wants. When I first got to Hope, I was um, younger than Danny by a year. And uh, the church was uh, not doing great. <laughs> it was, um, it's a long story that I'll make a lot shorter just by saying it was a struggle at first. I mean, it was a serious struggle. And part of the reason was because um, I had not fully surrendered Lutheran Church of Hope, this ministry, to God. And I'm telling you this story not because I need you to know the history of Lutheran Church of Hope or my story. I want you to think of your own. I want you to think of what you're holding back about what you haven't surrendered to God in your life, about what you haven't given to him so that he can be Lord of all those things, so that his wing can blow through those things. It was, it was when I prayed a prayer to God where I said, God, I've seen how far I can lead this church and I realize it's not very far. It's kind of a mess. And now I'd like to just surrender it over to you and see how far you can take it. So if anything good ever happens here in this church, you'll get all the credit, and I'll take none. And I've stayed true to that ever since. And on a daily basis, I pray a prayer where I say, God, this is your church. I surrender it to you. I'm just here for the ride. Let me show you what I mean. You remember the picture I had up there of the sailboat. What are the chances? What are the chances that we could all get together in a sailboat and on the count of three, we could all blow into that sail and move that boat? I mean, even if we had tuba breath, like deep down in the, in the lungs kind of breath and we all coordinated our efforts and the count of three, we all just went, it's hardly gonna do anything to that boat. But you learn to set the sail of your life to the wind of God's spirit. You learn to surrender. You learn to, you learn to say, God, I don't want your son, Jesus Christ, just to be my savior. I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my director. I want him to be my inspiration. I, I want to hear his word. I want to be filled up with the same life that you brought into, that you breathed into the dust of the ground, the very beginning of creation when you created Adam and all of humankind. I want you to breathe that into me. I want to learn to set my sails to the wind of your spirit. Now, how's that boat going to move if we learn how to do that compared to us breathing all together with all the wind that we can muster up? We're going to get nowhere. But if we just learn to set the sail to the wind that God provides, man, you're going to sail. It's going to be all new. Everything's going to change. Let the wind of God's spirit move you. The wind blows wherever it wants, Jesus says to Nicodemus in that same conversation in John chapter 3. It's ruach in the Hebrew, pneuma in the Greek of the New Testament. That wind, that breath, that spirit is here for you tonight. It's here in the invitation to come and get the bread and the wine, but it's not just bread and wine. It's the body and blood of Christ. Life. Life. New and eternal. It's not the bread and the wine that do this. It's not magic. We don't believe in the bread and the wine. We believe in the Jesus who promises to be present in the bread and the wine. He says as he gives it to his followers, this is my body, this bread. This is my blood, this wine. Given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. I'll put my spirit in it. I'll be present in it. 
It's not magic, the bread and the wine. It's the promise of Jesus who's in the bread and the wine. He says, this is my body. This is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. The wind blows wherever it wants and it's blowing your way tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter one and two, there's a story uh, that's written. It's a memoir written by a king named Solomon, the wisest king in the history of Israel. And he's reflecting on his life at an older age. Kind of like having an older guy come talk to you every once in a while. Not a bad idea. Let me be one blind beggar telling other blind beggars where to get some really good food tonight. It's not chasing the wind of this world. Please, I don't want to demotivate you. Use the gifts God has given to you. Live out your dreams. Seek to realize them. Give it your best. Pour into what you're doing here at Iowa State. Pour into this. Chase after the goals that God has given to you. Just make sure they're God's goals for you. Or even if you achieve them, they won't satisfy your soul. Set your sail, your life, to the wind of God's spirit. He's the one who made you. He has a plan, a really good plan for your life. Find it, seek it, follow it, carry it out. The wind blows wherever it wants. And it's blowing your way tonight. Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, among many other brilliant things that God inspires King Solomon to write, this word that speaks to us, Solomon says, it's all vanity and meaningless. The pursuit of worldly goals above godly goals. Nothing wrong with worldly goals until they become bigger than godly goals. And then Solomon has this phrase inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, it's like I'm chasing the wind You chase the wind, you're not going to catch it. But the wind is coming after you. We can't catch the wind, but the wind can catch us. It starts with God. It's not about you. It's not about me. This church, not about me, not about you, not about us. It's about the wind of the Holy Spirit. That's the story of this church. That's the story of this college ministry, Kairos which in the Greek of the New Testament, God's living, breathing, spirit-filled word means the opportune, holy time that God has set apart for you, kairos. This is the time. This is the holy time. Let God chase you with his wind. Let him catch you. Let his wind catch the sail of your life. And then let him give you the life that your soul longs to live. I'll pour out my spirit upon all people, scripture says. I'll pour my spirit out on all people. This is Peter quoting the prophet Joel. After the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. The wind of God's spirit starts catching and filling up the room. Probably a room no bigger than this. I'll pour out my spirit on all people, all generations. And that brings us right into the story. So that a deep sense of awe came over them all. Every part of scripture is God breathed. And through the word of God, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us, the life that God has planned for you to live and carry out. We've been put together. The Greek word there is artios. You are God's masterpiece. He created you on purpose. You are God's glory. God is really big. And he loves you. And he made you. And he has a plan for your life. You are the highlight of God's creation. What if you could start to see yourself the way God sees you? Just like that. 
You say, I don't know. I I mean, is that even true? You've got God's word on it. God's got some stuff to say to you this year. Will you let him? Let him speak. If you do, nothing between you and God, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face, gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. We become more like the God he created us to be.